Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, Amateur Hour. You're hearing it because you subscribed, and now we're in your inbox, and we appreciate it. Tell a friend. Tell someone who's passionate about the draft and about developmental baseball. And Danny, in this show, boy, you've produced a heck of a show. In this show, tell a friend who's passionate about the mind, uh, the mind as it is utilized for a baseball player, but then also add the heart, the heart that, that is tied into faith, because uh, there is so much off the baseball field, even though these are two incredible baseball players, that is discussed. It, it just really is. Brody Brecht um, could continue to play wide receiver for Iowa, play football for Iowa. He's an Adonis in his build. It's crazy, his physical stature. 6'4", wingspan of a guy, 6'7", throws over 100 miles an hour on the mound. He stepped aside from football. He's going to be a first-round pick. Uh, the command will come next, but it's something that's incredible for him. Uh, Brody on here, widely open about his faith. And, and, and for those that are a part of his faith, it's incredibly encouraging. For those that are just wanting to be encouraged by someone who's optimistic about the world when it can be challenging, you want to listen to Brody Brecht. He's guest number one. The other's inspiring too, but let's start with Brody because just inspiring and encouraging, mature, sounded way older than who he was, talking with a lot of love and respect about his his fiance Taylor sounded like a man of 35. Yeah, he did. And I, I think that that comes with some of his background, right? When you are a two sport athlete at the division one level, there's not really a ton of time to be a clown, right? There's not time to really be, I would say an 18 year old college student. I think he's had to grow up probably a little faster and, and take on more responsibility if he wanted to do that. And that was important to him to go to Iowa dream school, play two sports, and then realize that it was time to put the emphasis on baseball. And that was facilitated by his fiance, as you mentioned, his family as well. And, and I think that he realized that this is the sport that I can go the farthest in. And he loves football. He loves football. He told us about his teammates who are cheering him on. He played a little basketball, some pick up basketball. Not that he said he could go far in it, but the, the point being is that this is a guy who's so gifted and so talented and could probably play either but he chose baseball and I'm glad that he did because what he brings on the mound velocity wise and able to hit triple digits. And that's the norm these days. He's just a special kid and he speaks about the game carefully and about his talents carefully. And you can tell that he, he has really good people around him. As much upside as any arm I've ever scouted as any arm I've ever scouted. Those were the words of one of Perfect Game's top scouts, Brian Sikowski, as much upside as any arm I've ever scouted. Talk about maturation to leave your country to play baseball. Travis Bazana approached me in 2019 in Arizona on a field at Salt River Fields. He was brought up by Major League Baseball on an international college camp. He saw, and, and I'm, I'm not easy, you know, not hard to miss, you know, taller, older, a lot of gray hair, um, specs. Um, so he found me, knew that I was hired by MLB to do some coverage there came across all the way across the diamond and tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, I'm Travis Bazana. Uh, I don't do Australian accents, by the way, out of respect for the Australians. Um, hey, I'm Travis Bazana. I want you to tell me how I can become a perfect game All-American. That was it. I mean, that's, that's, that's before he, he came to Oregon State, I met him. Now he's come to Oregon State, has an incredible year, slugs 478, hits six home runs, freshman All-American, then completely changes his swing. Think about that. He was a freshman All-American and changed his swing. OPS last year, 11-22. He's a bag-stealing fool, had 36 stolen bases, 
and was hoping to play for the U.S. Collegiate National Team. He's Australian. They didn't invite him. They couldn't clear it. They couldn't move it, move it, you know, the rocks and the mountains that needed to play together. That's fine. So that allowed him to spend the entire summer without leaving, which a lot of elite players do, in the Cape. He won the MVP of the Cape Cod League using a wood bat. He talks about the difference in bat size and sweet spot being here and here. He said, I always hit it right in here. It's a great interviews. We have the interview with him. I was thrilled when you booked him. Thrilled when you booked him. And it doesn't disappoint. There's so much in his interview that a young athlete can learn from. So if you need to skip, if you only have 20 minutes, go ahead and listen to Travis if you're a young athlete because he talks about your mind a lot. I would call him a vacuum of knowledge and it's on high speed. And the the approach that he's taken to the game is take risks, go all in on your risks, and you can fall back to what you were doing before if you have to. That is a lesson I don't even think most adults have wrapped their head around these days. And he's been doing it for a long time and the risks that he's taken for for his future and for what he believes in and someone who has so much conviction in themselves and has put themselves in a position to be really successful in a position to be the first ever Australian born player to be drafted in the first round. And I think that unless something insane happens, that that's the course that he's set on. But I, I my favorite part of the conversation was hearing about how he's so self-aware that he's basically 11 out of 10 energy all the time. And he's figured out how to harness that before a game starts so that he can capitalize on the energy, but also be able to harness it and use it in the most powerful way. Having called a lot of his games on television for the Pac-12 network, um, he's nuts when he plays. He, he, he is a, a whirling dervish out there. It's funny because he's so logical in the conversation. Um, there's the thinker, Travis Bazana. That's who we got. Then there's the feeler, to use the Myers-Briggs comparison. Um, he's, he's, he prepares so hard. He's all feels once he gets into the game because he's every bit, you know, of the reaction that we've seen MLB players have in the playoffs. I, 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 I know we need to, to get to the show. I'll, I'll tell you what he reminds me of a little bit and listen to him talk earlier this year. We had the good fortune, perfect game content, I had the good fortune to interview Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts on the same day at Chase Field separately, uh, in Arizona. And Tori Lovello, we were at a room outside of the locker room. Tori Lovello knocked on the door, popped his head in. On his way into work, introduced himself, and this is now more of a household name than it was three months ago, and said, hey, who are you interviewing today? And I said, Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts. I'm pretty lucky. I have both of them in separate, separate interviews. Yeah, you, you, those are two really good ones. He goes, you know what I love about both of them? And they're very similar in this way. And we've seen it play out for Corbin now here into the World Series. He said they both are very open and understanding in identifying their limitations. They understand their limitations. Then they spend their day going about attacking their limitations. He said that. Those aren't my words. If that doesn't describe Travis Bazana, I don't know what does. So um, it, it's perfect. Holden Breeze will join us on this podcast. A little bit of a preview of Perfect Games College Baseball that you can go watch on Perfect Games Network, Perfect Game TV, video podcast. Holden Breeze, Hunter Pence is my co-host. Breeze, a part of that Oral Roberts team that shocked the college baseball world, playing all the way to Omaha last year. You're going to love the conversation because he's a little bit different than these guys, but then very much the same. Juco guy. No one wanted him out of high school in Arizona. Went to Juco. Four-year guy, Oral Roberts. We'll take you. I mean, we're interested in you. No other offers. He was playing in Omaha last year. So that's our podcast. Now, continue to give it a listen.
I am always intrigued by somebody who doesn't cut corners. And when I think about your journey, Travis, and where you've been and where you've come from, I feel like there have been so many boxes that you have checked off. And there hasn't been a, a moment in this entire journey so far where you've thought about or you've made a decision to take an easier path and especially deciding to come to school in the United States because you want to be drafted and you want to be a first round pick, the first ever. And just to kind of follow how you've grown in this way, take us home. I, I want to go home with you and not just to Sydney, but like home, like your community. Tell us what it, what, where it is and, and the name of it and what it looks like. Like bring us home with you for a second. Yeah, um, I grew up in the same home my whole life in Burunga, which is a suburb in the north, northern suburbs of Sydney. Um, and yeah, spent my whole life there, went to a local public school. Um, and I guess rugby, cricket, um, soccer is kind of what I was surrounded with. Uh, but my love for baseball started young and I don't know, it just never stopped. Mm. Um, the community for baseball, super tight knit. And um, my my friends from a young age kind of brought the best out of me with just super athletic base and always going to the field, just kicking a ball, throwing a ball, whatever it was, just that was kind of my community. Um, and yeah, I think I had great people around me, great resources and especially like teachers from a young age, I felt like I had great mentors um, on the school side of things with good teachers. So um, super grateful for where I grew up and yeah. Every time I get a chance to read something about you or as Darren <laughs> said, you know, watching different interviews that you've done, there are a couple of parent things. Number one, you love to compete, you love to win, you want to do anything you can to get an edge and you identify, you're very transparent and self-aware, I think in, in the way that you talk about yourself, which is awesome. But I also pick up that you are yourself and you have been able to foster that and kind of nurture that. And I would wonder who or what has kind of allowed you to do that here in the United States at Oregon State and and what have those people done to allow you to continue to be exactly who you are yeah the first thing that comes to mind is a conversation I had with two of my biggest mentors in the game um, which was Trent Alchin and Ryan Rollsmith um, when I was 12 I went on a trip to the U.S. with them and at the end of the trip, they do like an exit meeting with the players and you sit down and talk about uh, what's what's the future look like? What are the goals you have for the next six, 12 months? Uh, and basically I'll never forget, I had a notebook and the main thing I wrote down from that exit meeting was <clears throat> never stop being yourself. They told me like the way you play the game, even at that age is infectious and very um, kind of loud and can be taken the wrong way by a lot of people, especially as you grow up. And so from that day on, I was like, I'm gonna continue to play the way I play. And then it's just been kind of honing the things that I just sort of feel things like when to speak up, when to not, when like just feeling it out. Cause I'm very go, 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 like loud with the way I play. Um, so I've always wanted to play the way I play. And I think just stepping in between the lines when I go into 
compete mode. It's just it's just go time, and I'm not really thinking about how I play. I just do it. So there's that, and then I think I never. My parents never like. They always put trust in me and whatever I was doing. Um, so they let me go out and take opportunities and um, kind of navigate risks myself. And I think that allowed me to sort of learn my learn how to be the best version of myself rather than try to be like someone else. They kind of just let me be me and and then made pointers to where they think I could could be better. But it wasn't – they were never – guiding the path it was just like go like create your own path i don't awesome. know it's interesting too talking about that risk like if you take a risk trend as a younger man you get a little bit more comfortable even if you fail i'm sure some of those risks you failed i mean you, you probably did but a lot of them i'm guessing you succeeded you know from freshman to sophomore year when you make a swing change when you go uh to a training facility like driveline you research who you are speak to me about that risk of making changes um were there voices in your head that told you not to? Um, did you just want to hold on to maybe who you were? Talk to me. And I think young hitters, young pitchers would love to hear your thoughts on when you've already kind of done something good as a freshman, why would you risk the change? Explain that risk yeah. as you talk about risk. Cause it is. Yeah. I think it's been one of the biggest things for me growing to where I am now in the game is like, being able to take risks and have buy-in with taking risks and in training, especially. Um, again, from a young age, like it was 13, 14, it was like, hey, a lot of coaches would be like, hey, play your game, you know, slap the ball the other way and run. You can do that. That's where you go. You got to stay with your strengths. I never think you're going to hit for power. You know, you're always going to play, do this, you know. It's like people put a ceiling on like what your game is you run and you hit it's like i'm 13 i have years to develop other things in my game you know and so i think i sort of got away from that and sort of begun to set no limits on the tools i could create and the way i could play the game um and so i was willing to take risks i was i was overhauling my swing when i was 15 16 like got to get on my back leg more how do I elevate the ball how do I hit the power like it I had always been taking those risks and had tried new things consistently to where I don't feel uncomfortable making change because I've felt lots of different swing things and tried a lot of things before to where there's enough reps and hours in the cage to where I feel like I could go back to where I was if I made backwards strides with those risks but um lucky enough I've had the people and resources around me to like know that I'm making the right strides and have the feedback to tell me, yeah, that's in a positive direction, those risks that, that change. So I think the best of the best are willing to make change and constantly looking for more. And again, there's no one's Mike Trout, Barry Bonds, Aaron Judge yet, like in, especially in my field in college. So it's like, there's definitely change to be made and you got to look for ways to be better. Yeah. The other word you just used, uh, I want to ask you about, and that's that word resource. Again, for you and for everyone younger than you, um, I, I'm all, I'll, be, I'll, I'll get off the freeway real quickly and just say I'm, I always struggle when people out there publicly on social media are critical of any resource, someone trying to teach the game. It may not be the right fit for some athletes, but it may be the right fit for others. Now back on the freeway, here's the question. Um, what's your advice on how to ID the proper resource and then utilize it? Because again, 
If you ID'd the resource for you after your freshman year that wasn't the proper resource, you did your best to utilize it, it would have been, you know, square peg, round hole, and it wouldn't have worked. Talk to me yeah. a little bit about IDing the proper resources, understanding probably what works best for you physically, and I know you mentally as well. Yeah, I think it comes down to just being able to filter information, and that comes from spending time researching and spending time understanding yourself. Like, I was... From young, I was watching YouTube videos of hitting coaches and uh, training videos of like football players, track stars. And so I started to develop an understanding of what I liked and the way I can filter information and what I think will help me as a person. And so, so that the more you bring in over time, you get better at just filtering that and applying it to yourself. And I think I knew from... 15, 16, that when driveline introduced hitting, I was like, that's a place I could see myself going because I'm, I, I feel like I'm pretty analytical and I'm, I like, I really like seeing feedback and numbers and, and data and that intrigues me. And whenever there's kind of passion involved for me, I know it's a place that I can succeed in because I'll be super invested in it. Um, and I sort of knew that was going to be a positive thing for me. Well, I, I hoped. And, but yeah, I think it's just putting yourself, like having an open mind to learn from lots of different resources and different people and the internet and going out and searching for answers and questions. But then it's just learning how to filter and apply it and, and figure out what's going to be best for you. But that takes time and, um, yeah. I don't know how else to explain it. You did. You explained yeah, it. You did. Yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah. You can be an analyst of the game once you have a very long, <laughs> wonderful career at the big league level. I wonder, was there, two-part question here, was there a moment or a series of moments when all the work that you put in on your own at driveline with, with family, with dad, with coaches, that you said it all, it, it clicked? There it is. We did it. And if there was, like, what emotions did you feel knowing that everything you just did paid off for you? Um, I think there's been little moments, but it's like I see everything as just part of, as much as this is such a cliche, cliche answer, like I see it a part of the process that I'm the bigger goals and, like, there's so much more to be accomplished that these little things are like little motivations and stuff. I'd say there's a couple things. One, when I was younger, um, <clears throat> making, making and being one of the best players on the under 18 national team out of Australia was huge for me because the 15 U team with the same group of guys, I didn't even make the 40 man squad. So that was like a huge goal for me. And that was like, the work is paying off, like keep going. And then when I was there, I played against Team USA and a bunch of guys, big leaguers right now, Pete Crow, all the rest. And they, I was like, oh, I can play Power 5 baseball. Like, they're all committed to these schools. I'm a little bit behind them right now, but now I'm going to go try to get a college scholarship, Oregon State. And then, like, in the room I'm in right now, I got the offer for Oregon State. And that was another moment. It was like, now I can go from there. And then they sort of just, these little kind of goals pile up like it was like oh, I want to be a freshman all-american I want to be a first rounder just kind of ticking off goals that I feel like are good steps towards where I want to go and can help me impact the people I want to impact in the game and um yeah I think there's not one moment because I'm not really like 
the journey isn't over. So it's just kind of taking them as I go and trying to improve on what I can. Yeah, do. it sounds like milestones. You, you, but the milestones yeah. continue on. I, I totally get that. I wonder what what do you do for yourself off the field? I know I need a hard reset often after the season or after a big show, maybe because you know I've given it my all. I empty the tank every single time, and I need a second to reset the batteries a little bit. How do you reset your batteries? Like take us off the field with you. Yeah, I think I take a little step away and just begin to kind of read and meet with people that I care about and and just start to reassess, reevaluate. Um, I think the b- biggest part is like having a great circle of people that when you kind of give your all and something ends, like the season ends or whatever, just being able to step back, have people with you to then <clears> – <throat> they help you reset and help you think about the right things and keep you on the right path. And yeah, I think just being around the people I care about is huge for that kind of reset. Um, and then also reading like when, what are you reading? When I read reading, just like you, lots of ideas come to my head. I don't know. It's just, it's time to kind of wind down and get away from external things, but also gives me ideas for how I reevaluate. So I think I got good people around me for that. And just discussing, discussing aspirations and where I can improve with all the people closest to me and, and then going from there. Mm-hmm. What, uh, if I'm going to, you know, push the rewind machine and have little Travis trotting around, uh, around older brothers, Hayden Mitchell back in the day, what, what, what was that visual? Like what's that home movie that's rolling out there? What we're seeing Hayden and Mitchell, I think one or both of them were baseball players. And then the, the gnat was you, you're still a gnat and irritant to everyone who faces you, but what were you like at two, three years old at the yard with your brothers? <laughs> yeah, I would, uh, there's, there's definitely videos of me like lining up the bats and putting the helmets all stacked or like the, their game would finish and I'd run out with helmet on and run around the bases for no reason. Um, and then they'd be at events with their team and I would just wouldn't stop hanging around and trying to join the baseball game, join the soccer game. And they're like, get away. You, Get away! You're so annoying, Travis. Uh, I was just a bit of a, a pest around around their circles at that age, and um, I don't know. I just wanted to be a part of all of it. They're a big part of why you're here, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, just they taught me so much. They're a little bit older than me, and I think I've been able to learn through their experiences um, and help me just kind of be better and. They, their aspirations and the way they go about things is constantly improving. And um, yeah, it's just an, more people to look to and, and learn from, I guess. Yeah, more mentors. There's no doubt. Hey, it seems like you picked the right major. You're a psych major, right? Yeah. Okay, t- tell me how studies, and you talk about reading and getting away reading. Some people don't view studies as getting away. But tell me about, you know, maybe a class or two or a moment or two or a lecturer or two that you've heard where you think, my goodness, this this unlocked a part of my mind that I didn't think could happen. Have you had that in one of your courses? Um, honestly, in my side classes, not yet. But I think, I think just there's something that comes to my head. A book I read when I was like 15. I can't remember who recommended it to me, but it really got my psych brain just like super i became passionate from them and wanted to learn all about um like 
human performance psychology and all the rest. And it was relentless by Tim Grover. And it's all the Kobe, all the Jordan references you could imagine. <laughs> um, and that really like started everything. And I wanted to read all those type of books. And um, I think in the, like getting a psych degree, there's a lot of different classes to touch on. And a lot of it's about mental health and, and drug use and all the rest. And I'm, I'd say I'm a bit more passionate about like just the performance of the brain in like pressure situations and growth. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's a bit more niche, but yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. But that reminds us on the other end that we do walk a tightrope with our minds as human beings. Yeah. If that's a part of your studies, that does exist <laughs> and we could drift there. It's always a good reminder. Sorry, Danny. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I, it, it gets me thinking because sometimes we dive into how do guys prep pregame? What's the mental preparation that goes into it is do you have an extensive or any pregame um or like routine that involves just your mind um yeah mind stuff is like i after batting practice the first thing i do um is go and um either do a 15 minute guided meditation or take a 25 minute nap um this is right before like infield outfield pregame um, and for me, it's like, I'm very fast paced, um, very, you could say high heart rate, like player. I don't know how else to put it. And so for me, like, I'm always going to be amped up for the game. I'm always fired up to play, but finding that fine, like flow focus where I'm not over amped, um, requires me to slow down a little pregame. So um yeah i sometimes literally take a 25 minute nap and came come out super calm and and ready to go but i'm still like i have that adrenaline and i have that rush to play the game so it's just once i found that balance pregame with meditation or, or napping um it actually helped me a lot feeling just super clear in the box or clear on the field and ready to just go out and give it my all that's awesome. I only have one more and it kind of just circles back to the start of the conversation of home and representing Australia and the path that you've chosen that you continue to pave for the other kids who who live back home, right? When when you're drafted, what piece of home do you take with you to your professional career? What what is it from home that you carry with you when you get there? um like like mentally or like like physical items sorry i just Is it, kinda... i mean both if it's both but i i'm i'm just thinking yeah. more of like you like, know your the presence of home but if it's physical i'll yeah. hear, i'll hear it no. out yeah that's what that's what i was thinking i just wanted to clarify yeah. um uh i would say just the heart of like the people around me at home and like the people i played with even baseball back home I think um, just every time I step out there, giving it my all and also just caring for the people around me, like my, my parents and the people back home would. So I don't know. I think I take from home just nonstop wanting to be the best version of myself. And, um, and yeah. It's a great answer. Yeah. D? You're good. I'm good. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was awesome, Travis. Thank you. No worries. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you.
A quick pause to give you a preview of Perfect Game College Baseball. It airs every single week, a brand new edition on Perfect Game TV. Go find Perfect Game TV. It's an app. You can download it on your phone. High quality video production, great storytelling, live events. Uh, you can also get it on Roku, Vizio, Fubo, coming soon to Amazon Prime. There's your promo in this podcast. Get Perfect Game TV, shows like this. The, the piece of the pie of this, uh, of this great show, a little slice of it anyway, is Hunter Pence talking with Holden Breeze. Remember, Breeze was a player who played for Oral Roberts last year. And just as a reminder, as you listen to Hunter and Holden talking, they, they had the, the Stillwater Regional, which means they went to Oklahoma State. They went to Oklahoma State. They beat Josh's program out of town. They went to the Super in Eugene. Waz's team, they beat them. He talked about the fans there. Uh, big league Philly fans, you got nothing on what they're doing in Eugene. Here's a listen, a bit of perfect game college baseball. The advice I was given was go where you can play. And uh, as a freshman, they'll tell you you're going to play. But D1, you know, the four-year D1s, they got some older guys. So playing is, is the key. Now, you got to play a lot last year. We're talking World Series. Can you, you know, just reflect a little bit on last year, the World Series run? Uh, what went so well with your team? What are some things that you, you learned? And, and how do you, you know, I guess let's just leave it at that. That's too big of a question. But, like, what did you learn? Talk about that, that experience in and of itself. Um, I mean, obviously the experience was – it's hard to take in. Like, I still don't believe that we went. But um, I think we just played well together. We, we always um, got well. Like, we just hung out all the time. We were so close. I think that's the biggest part. We, we felt comfortable, like, leaving it to the next guy, letting someone, you know – take control of the game, not always having the control. So um, we just had trust in each other, good team culture, good bond, and a great coaching staff to carry us through it. So, Yeah, it does pay off uh, the, the time spent away from the field, and then you just get comfortable being, you know, in the, on, on the field together. And, you know, because you're going to go through, I don't care who you are, if you're going to the World Series, you're going to hit tough times, tough games where you're down late. Uh, or you blow leads, uh, so that you really feel like that paid off. Now, how do you translate that into this fall? Is there anything in particular you guys are talking about working on, um, you know, to try to replicate that and give yourself another chance to to ultimately be the national champions? Yeah. So I mean, we got a pretty new team this year. I think we got twenty new guys, maybe something like that. Um, we're just trying to find like our identity because it's not going to be the same as last year. It's not going to be the same as the year before. So we're trying to figure out who we are first. Um, kind of keep the same team culture, just, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to approach this season, what works best for us, and it's most likely going to be a different play style than last year. So we're just going to figure all that out. So, so Brody, Hunter Pence and I had a chance to talk to you last year, or, and it was fun, or at least before uh, this past summertime, back uh, early stages of this calendar year to be more specific. And you were still navigating the life of not a two-way player, but a two-sport player. And then about a month after you connected with us, you publicly, I think it was like March 23rd, 24th, shared of your gratefulness of having the opportunity. Uh, you always put your faith first, which we'll get into a little bit later. Shared of your, of your thankfulness in that area, but that you were committing full-time to baseball. What led to that decision? What led to you doing that? In late March, middle of the baseball season, by the way, probably middle of spring football starting up too. What led you to that decision, Brody? Because I know it was a big one. You put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, no, it was. It's definitely been the the hardest decision of my life. Um, you know, football 
you know, was and probably always will be, you know, the sport I love the most. Um, you know, just that competitiveness and that, you know, brotherhood and the adrenaline you get from playing that. But honestly, at the end of the day, you know, I looked at, you know, how can I, you know, put myself in the best position to, you know, you know, get to the MLB, you know, Lord willing. And so, you know, for me, that was to have a full fall baseball season to build my arm up, you know, so I'm having the proper ramp up and I'm not at risk, you know, injuring my arm because in the past two years, I was, you know, I was starting in December and then, you know, I was just going throughout the whole season. So just, you know, being able to, you know, give my arm some time to build up and then, you know, just, you know, being healthy, you know, it's, it's fall balls a lot. You know, it may be, you know, a lot for some people, but for me, it's a lot easier on the body than 12 football games. So, um, you know, just being being healthy and just, you know, having that time to, you know, clean up the little things mechanically that I was wanting to work on. Um, that was that was pretty much, you know, the deciding factor at the end of the day. And, you know, I, you know, it was tough, toughest decision I've I've had to make. But, you know, I'd make it 10 times out of 10 for sure. Iowa football, playing in front of like what feels like 100,000 people at times. Heck, you go on the road, you are in front of 100,000 people. Yeah. Um, an incredible experience. And, and, and I want to talk more about it a little later, but I think in the same theme, um, I, I do want to ask you, again, aside from, from your prayerful time, and I know you had that time during this decision, um, who are one or two people, if you don't mind outing them and you'll, you know, out of respect for them, that really influenced your decision where you paused and ultimately it's your decision, but where you paused and you listened to those people and you thought, that's good advice. This is going to play into me making this decision. Who were those couple of people? Yeah. Um, the biggest one is my fiance. We got engaged this past summer and you know, Taylor. you know, she was supporting me. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah. She was, she was supporting me either way. Um, but she was like, you know, what's going to, you know, be the best thing, you know, for not only you, but for us and, you know, our future family. And, you know, you know, that for me, that was kind of, you know, really a wake up, you know, or not really a wake up call, but just like, you know, one of the factors that played into it is just like, yeah, I love football and, you know, it's, it's great playing, but, you know, is it really going to be what I'm, what I'm going to be doing for, you know, you know, maybe the next 10 or 15 years, probably not is baseball very well could be. Um, so that was, uh, she, she was, you know, a big piece in that. And then my parents, um, they, they were, they were also a big part in it too. Cause you know, I've been talking to them, um, you know, just about how I was feeling, you know, just, I was, I've been banged up, you know, in football, you know, my, my hamstrings were, you know, not feeling the greatest. And, you know, I just, you know, just for the health of my body, you know, I think, you know, it was just another thing that they were talking to me about. So I would say definitely those three. And then, um, uh, Carmen, uh, she is our mental health therapist and I talked with her a lot about it and, you know, she was, you know, cause I was nervous, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking going into, you know, coach's office and, you know, saying, Hey, I'm not going to be playing anymore. Um, and, you know, she helped me like talk through that and kind of like, you know, eased, eased our way into it. Um, you know, you know, approaching coach and how to go about it and stuff. So, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, teammates and best friends, you know, all played a part in it, but, um, you know, I, I definitely think those four people, you know, definitely helped me a lot throughout that. So I, I feel like there is a surge and a really powerful conversation around playing as many sports as you can for as long as you can. And you're hearing it right now at the pro level, guys are talking about, I'm so glad that I played basketball and football for as long as I could. And I, I also think we're seeing it at the high school level right now. You're seeing more guys sticking with multi-sports for longer as well. So what's your plug? Because you have done it now at a level division one, 
which is incredibly difficult. I can't even imagine how you balanced your fall playing football, working out with baseball, the wake-ups and school and life and your girlfriend, now fiance. I cannot even imagine what your schedule must have looked like. So what's your plug for playing as many sports as you can for as long as you can? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for me is I love competing. Um, you know, I, for me, like, you know, that's, that's like the biggest thrill you can get, you know, just going out there and competing, you know, every day. And so, you know, just staying busy year round was honestly like, just like the biggest, you know, thing for me. I love being out there with the guys and, you know, creating those, you know, friendships that last a lifetime. Um, you know, I just, I just love being out there and I love playing, you know, it keeps you busy, keeps you on your toes, keeps you in shape. You're, you know, you're working out, you know, once, sometimes twice a day. Like it's just, for me, I just, I just love that aspect of things. Um, you know, I just, and the other part of it too, is I just think it helps you, you know, different skills. Um, you know, mm -hmm. like they kind of like, you know, baseball, you know, it's a lot, you know, slower pace of a game, but you know, when you're on the mound, like you're going, you're going pretty good. And, you know, you know, when I, in high school, I played center field too. And I was, you know, tracking the mm -hmm. baseball, you know, and that, you know, in turn will help you track a football, you know, playing receivers. So, um, I think they just correlate very well and, you know, running track, you know, you, you keep your explosiveness, you keep getting faster, working on your form and that type of stuff. So I just think, you know, I just think it's super beneficial to play, you know, as many sports as you can, you know, obviously at some point you're going to have to decide, you know, between one or two, but, um, I just think it's super beneficial. And, you know, I think the biggest part of it is you just, you're, if you're a competitor and you love to compete, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. And that's why, that's why I love doing it. That's a word we heard a lot too. I mean, the, that word has been thrown out in the postseason, but we heard it. We were just in Jupiter at world wood bat and you know, guys are tired. It's the end of the year, but the guys who want to come compete stand out. And I, I never really thought about that word as much as I have. So I, I find it really cool that you're using it right now. And so you're focusing on baseball. You, you've completely 100% turned your focus there. So when you take the mound and you get a chance to be on a diamond, a much, a much smaller field, what is it about that space that thrills you? Yeah, honestly, like, you know, baseball, like, you know, for like, just like being a receiver, like on, like, I mean, there's 11 other like guys, like on the field, like you, you're kind of close to each other. Like, I mean, like there's a lot of moving parts and really the, the camera's only on you, you know, if they throw you the ball, there's a lot of, you know, behind the scenes stuff too. But when you're on the mound, every single time the, the eye is on you, you know, and you know, I just, for me, like you get that extra adrenaline, like all the, all the eyes are on me. Like it's just, it's me, me versus me. And that's something, you know, that I love is like, you know, I'm gonna say it again, but competing, like, every single pitch you got to compete as a pitcher, you know, and it's, it's not even you versus the batters. You know, what I've learned is it's you versus you. Like, you know, that's kind of how I've, you know, helped elevate my game towards the end of last year. You know, when I was, when I was struggling, you know, for those, you know, four weeks, you know, kind of in the middle of the season, um, you know, it's really tapping into the mental side of the game, you know, throwing each pitch with, you know, commitment and conviction is what, you know, me and our pitching coach always talked about. And so just compete every single pitch, you know, that's, that's, you know, why, why, why I love it. You know, I honestly wouldn't even say like, I truly, truly love baseball. Like I did football. I just love competing and, you know, every pitch I'm competing. And that's why, that's why I love playing. So. If, I, if I'm going to use the word ammunition, I do so respectfully, but I'm going to ask you, uh, as far as ammunition goes for you, uh, where have you deepened the most? In what part of your pitching repertoire have you grown the most? And I don't know if it's all year long. Maybe it's since, you know, your brief time in the Cape. Maybe it's USA Collegiate National Team experience. Maybe it's a week ago in the fall. But where have you deepened your game the most as a pitcher? Yeah, I just think – you know, you're not going to feel great every single time, you know, during 
the Cape, I was, you know, beat up from the season, just, you know, arm was tired. You know, you're, you don't really have the same like warm up routine. You know, you don't got all the same stuff, not the same trainer. So, you know, it's really about, you know, who can still show up and get the job done when they're not feeling, you know, as good. And, you know, same thing down in USA. Like, I mean, it's, it's just a totally different atmosphere. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed, you know, just, you know, just going out there and just, you know, getting the job done. Um, you know, I just think like kind of that dog mentality, like, you know, you may not always feel good, but you still got to get it done. You like you're, you may feel bad. You may feel good. But at the end of the day, we're not in a trying sport. Mm. We're in a winning sport. So I think that's that's something Coach Heller says all the time after we get our bus kicked. Um, he always says that in the locker room. So um, I just think that's kind of, you know, where, you know, I started to learn towards the end of the year and why where I think I've grown. Um, but then just, you know, I mentioned earlier, just learning how to compete every single pitch. Um, I think that's, you know, a big, big thing in my game, learning how to channel that competitiveness in the right places because, um, you know, it's a lot different than football. Football, you know, you you get pissed off. You can go, you know, hit somebody and not get in trouble for it. You can't do that on a baseball field um, or else you're going to get tossed. So um, just learning where to, how to channel that energy and that competitiveness, I think, is, you know, a big thing that I've had to learn. So Interesting. So I have a, a mentor of mine, and I'm sure you have some good mentors. His name is Father Matt Lowry. He's based in Flagstaff, Arizona, runs the campus ministries up there. And whenever he has an opinion on something, he actually, this is why he's a good leader of young people. He says, I have an opinion. Would you like to hear it? So I'm going to say to you right now, Brody, I listened to every word you just said. I have an opinion. Would you like to hear it? Uh, I mean, yeah. (laughs) It sounds to me like you're telling me that you feel like you got way mentally tougher, which I find crazy because you play a sport that you have to be crazy mentally tough prior to in football. But it sounds like to me, if you yeah. start compartmentalizing, I watched my dad win 300 games in the big leagues, and a lot of times he didn't have his A stuff, a lot of times out on the mound. It sounds to me like you're sharing with me like, okay, I was in the Cape. It wasn't what I was used to. I was with USA Baseball. All of a sudden, you got a, a lot more mentally tough as a pitcher. Am I close on listening to what you said, which is a great way to grow? Am I close? Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. Um, you know, it's, I think the, I think it's two different, like kind of toughness, you know, from football and baseball, like football, it's more like physically, it's like, you got to like mentally push through the physical demands of, you know, the, exactly the conditioning, Mm -hmm. the, the, the lifting, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and baseball, you know, it's mental toughness within every single pitch, you know, being able to come back from adversity because you got to be able to flip it like that. You can't be worrying about the pitch before or else it's going to be, a, you know, it's going to the same sequence is going to follow. So um, I do think I've grown in that, but I think it's two different types of mental toughness. Like I, I think I have really good, you know, that football mental toughness where I can push through that those physical challenges. But I think, you know, where I still got to where, I, where I've grown but still have to, you know, do better is that, you know, that baseball side of things of just, you know, dealing with that adversity better and, you know, learning to control my breathing and stuff like that. You probably wonder where I was going with that whole thing, didn't you? You, know, that, <laughs> yeah. that was, you hung in there with me. I appreciate you hanging in there with me. I, got, I love Father Matt, so I thought I'd give him a mention in there, but I appreciate you hanging in there with me. I got you. I got you. <laughs> hey, who on the football team is your biggest cheerleader? Which, which person or, or group of people on that team now is like, Brody, that is my guy. Who is it? Um, probably Cooper and Max. Cooper DeGene and Max White. You guys have probably heard of Coop. 
Um, mm. But I mean, so I, I live with those guys and, you know, they were also two of the people that kind of, you know, went into my decision, you know, they were obviously sad, you know, that I was not playing with them anymore, but you know, they knew the bigger picture at hand and, um, but yeah, I mean, they're always, you know, they come to every single game I pitch, you know, they even, you know, came out to some of the scrimmages this fall. So, you know, we're always, we're always chatting it up and talking. And so I, I, yeah, those are, those are my brothers right there. Oh, that's awesome to have support like that and have people in your life on, on both sides. I mean, that that's gotta be one of the best family feelings too, in college. Like you have kind of the best of both worlds because you've earned it. Of course. I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, 104 on the radar gun. 104. When was the first time you hit 104? Uh, yeah. So great. I. I mean, yeah. I, it wasn't really 104 on the gun. It was, but on, I think on TrackMan it was like 101 or something. Um, okay. So I will be, I will be, I will, only 101. I, only 101. <laughs> okay. <We got you. laughs> I will be honest, but, uh, but yeah, that was, yeah, that was, it was cool. It was cool. To, definitely cool to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, I mean, I think the first time I hit a hundred was freshman, freshman year live sets when I got to Iowa. Um, I think like, you know, my first or second live set, I think, you know, I hit a hundred for the first time. Um, Cause I've been, I've been sitting like 98, you know, touching a 99 and then it was cool to get that hundred. But yeah, I think, you know, the beginning of last year is when I, you know, was hitting like the one ones, you know, one one point seven, you know, getting up there a little bit. So um, yeah. Really quick, really quick follow-up on that. It feels, and Darren, please chime in, that 98 to 101 is the norm at the big league level now. Everyone is throwing gas like that. It's it's kind of insane that we've gotten there. Where do you stand with how normal that seems? And you're doing it in college. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know, how much the game has changed. You know, it's you got, you know, it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, you got, you know, a couple guys on a team, you know, throwing that, you know, hard maybe. And now it's like, almost like the whole bullpen and some of the starters are touching that. So it's, it's definitely crazy how much the game is changing. Um, you know, I just think, you know, you just got to keep working. You got to like make your pitch, especially, you know, it may be hard, but you know, how much, you know, vertical break are you getting on it and stuff like that? You know, how, you, how can you make it harder to hit and stuff like that? So I'm still new to all that analytical stuff. I'm not the big numbers guy. Um, so I, I kind of look, I just, I look at it with pitching coach and the, you know, our, our, uh, data analysis teams you know we got one of the best you know in the country i think so you know just talking with them about it but yeah it's it's definitely crazy how much the game's been changing yeah it's fun it's fun to watch give me some characteristics from your words uh, of your pitches let's start with your slider give me some characteristics of your slider in other words if i close my eyes and listen to you describe it tell me a little bit about give me some characteristics yeah um i think it's very you know it's it's a depthy slider it's not it's like not your typical, like, you know, a lot of guys are like throwing sweepers or, you know, gyros nowadays. Like mine's, it's really like just kind of like a power curve almost like it's getting, you know, eight to 10 inches of depth, you know, rather than, you know, 15 inches of sweep, you know, kind of, you know, what the norm is nowadays. But I think that, you know, throws a lot of guys off. It's, you know, late breaking and it just kind of like drops off a cliff almost. Um, and then, you know, obviously I can, you know, throw it, you know, a little bit harder than, you know, some, some other people. So, I just, I think, you know, those two things, you know, when you get depth and velocity, I think it can make it a very, very dangerous pitch. What are some characteristics of your fastball, whether it be grips, if you use different grips, uh, ways that, that you see it when you watch it on video, not the 101 to 104 we're talking about, but the way you see your fastball, describe it. Yeah, so, you know, in the summer, um, I was more so, my, my, my fingers were more so on the laces, and I, 
towards the end of the summer, you know, I started kind of cutting it with my middle fingers, kind of throwing it late. You know, I was throwing it more so 130. So we've been trying to work on is, you know, throwing it, you know, at 1230 or 12, you know, trying to get more, you know, ride on it. You know, so I'm moving my fingers up, you know, kind of my, my freshman year. For some reason, you know, I was, you know, higher up on the, the laces, like my laces were, you know, probably, you know, on the, my first knuckle. So I was getting behind the baseball, I was riding more. And then for some reason during my sophomore year, I kind of, you know, changed it, I guess, after not throwing for four months or whatever during the season. Um, so just trying to get back to that um, is, you know, really the biggest thing right now. But. Those are great Amazing answers, man. Answer. Those are great answers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get a kick out of the velocity, like you said. I remember my, my minor league manager, Tom Kochman, when I was pitching in the Angels organization, came and celebrated with me when I touched 89, and I was a pro. <laughs> there I you was go. getting paid to pitch. So I, it was a celebration day for me. So the game has evolved. My final question for you is very simple. Um, describe your faith to me, because I see you sharing Pastor West every day, and I love the words that he, he shares. I see you you sharing the word that faith, faith gives you, my why. I also see you with a lot of respect to your fiance, and mm -hmm. I'm guessing that's a lot of your faith and your upbringing. That's, that's evident in the way you present yourself. So from your perspective, um, as someone who shares your faith, please describe your faith with me. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the most important thing in my life. You know, I love, I love sports. You know, I love baseball. I love football. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's what I do. It's not who I am. Um, you know, Jesus died for us, and, you know, died on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we can be with him, you know, in heaven, you know, when he comes to, you know, comes and comes back to this earth. So, um, I mean, I just think it's super important to know why you're doing everything. Um, and it's, it's to glorify God. It's not to, you know, you know, as much as I want to make mom proud, um, you know, it, that's, that's, that may be second, but it's not number one. Um, you know, it's just, I just think it's, you know, awesome to just, you know, share, share the, the word and of God and, you know, just try to get others, you know, to Christ, because at the end of the day, that's 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 our that's our goal. That's the Great Commission, you know, go and, you know, make disciples of all of all nations. So, um, yes, it's the most important thing to me. And uh, I mean, I just I just want to, you know, whatever I do, I just want to use my platform, you know, to spread the gospel. And yeah, that's I mean, that's that's kind of it. I mean, I just I'm so thankful, thankful and blessed that, you know, God's, you know, put me in the position and, you know, bless me with the opportunities that he's given me. Um, and, you know, the least I can do is, you know, you know, give him all the glory and credit him for everything. So. I appreciate you guys asking me about it. That means a lot. Absolutely. My last one is because you you hopped on our podcast. You were playing basketball before you hopped on to join us. So did you, when you were in high school. Don't tell people he was late, though. No, I'm I just trying to tell people he was late. Okay, I just want to make sure you don't do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I see what's going on here. Not me. When you were in high school, like, how good of a basketball player are you? Like, were there offers? Were there coaches? No, no, we're not no, there. I, sport, not I, three. I so I I actually loved. I would I would honestly tell you like my favorite sports like growing up it was football, basketball, baseball. Like, um, which is kind of crazy <laughs> now that you think about it. But like, but like for me, like I so I didn't even play my. I stopped playing after eighth grade year because I wanted to play. I played football in the fall, and then you know the winter was more so that off season like that's when I would go train I'd be lifting two times a day get ready for track and then baseball would be in the summer so um but wow. I, I I don't really got a good shot but I am I'm, I'm athletic I can run the floor I play good defense I get boards and I pass the rock um so I'm more of a distributor and defensive anchor not not more <laughs> I, I mean I can get it done in the paint I can go up and get it but shooting I, I try to stay inside the lane <laughs> 
iconic. That's an iconic answer. This is fantastic, <laughs> Brody. Seriously, we're, we're so excited. I know we're excited for this season, excited for the draft, but really appreciate you giving us some time. No problem. I appreciate you guys being flexible. And once again, I apologize for, for being late. But By the way, uh, as you heard, Brody's fiance, Taylor, and again, a, a true gentleman, and, and at least publicly, certainly, but you can't hide the way that he speaks about his respect um, for, for women and his respect for Taylor. And that's fun. That's encouraging. I love hearing that. His mom, Kelly, is an educator. She's from Northern Iowa. His dad is Aaron. He's an engineer. He went to Iowa State. We didn't get into all that. I thought it was an important to mention. And then speaking of Travis, his dad is Gary. His mom is Jenny. They're very important to him. He shared after the podcast that uh, they're very important. He pauses on occasion, looks forward to the next time he can be home without baseball, just with mom and dad. Those are two grown men speaking on very important things. The other thing I think it's cool to consider for Travis is that he played a lot of baseball, speaking of being a man or being with men, when he was 13, 14, and 15 in men's leagues. So he was playing with Australian men when he was able to get to the States and play in college summer leagues and play college baseball. There were some arms that were better in Australia because they were 32 and they were crafty and they weren't going to let the little mealy mouth pipsqueak over there in the corner get a double off him. That was a big part of Travis's development too, that he doesn't make enough about playing in men's leagues when he was just a teenager. So all these guys are cool. Danny, you, you really check so many boxes with these two guys. The first four guests on this show uh, could all be, and I'm going to steal your line, could all be 1-1, one, one, could all be the number one pick. You've been really creative with your vocabulary in this podcast. I just want to let you know, you just, you've just pulled these words out from somewhere. I don't, I don't know where they're from, but they, they like all the yeah. kids, smartphone. <laughs> You, your vocabulary has been extensive in this podcast, and I'm really grateful for it. I'm going to give you one word, competitor. And this is a word, I've kind of talked about this, but it's been kind of scratching my brain over the last few months. It started, you know, bef a little before Jupiter, maybe in August when we have all of our select fests and we have our classic. And then in Jupiter, when you hear that PJ Morlando, the number one, high school player in the class of 2024 is in Jupiter and he doesn't have to be there, but he's a competitor. He came up to me and said, I want to be here. I want to play. Why wouldn't I be here? This is the best of the best. And then you hear from these two young men and all Brody wants to do is win and compete and be the best. And that's the same for Travis. They have this hunger. And I think there's something to be said how that plays. And the reason I say it is because I'm hearing it more at the big league level. People are like, what's the difference between a team like the Padres who has superstars and can't make it connect and the team like the Diamondbacks who, if you look at their roster, it's not a team of superstars. What's the difference? How did they do it? They're competitors. And I, I think that they've got this level to them that's been sparked in a different way. And maybe it's because it's an edge and no one expects them to do it or they have doubters, right? Travis has been really open about the ceilings that have been put on him. And for Brody, right, a guy who, well, you weren't playing uh, baseball year round and you, do, you were doing this and you didn't commit yourself this way, right? There's these doubters, but these guys are, are hardcore competitors. And I think that makes the game better. And I think they're, it's a, it's a starting, you're starting to see, okay, this is the next wave of big leaguers coming through and they've got this edge to them that I really like. Travis won't like that. I said this, uh, he's, he's much more of a finished product than Brody is, which is exciting for Brody. 
And it's exciting for Travis for the work that he has done. And that Brody, you know, he had 66 walks in, in, in what, 100 innings last year. Um, the, oh, 61 Brody, walks in yeah. 77. Yeah, Brody had a lot of walks last year. Um, and he, he's going to lock that in. So he's still evolving. He's not playing football for the first time. Like, it's just yeah. stopped. So he's just beginning. The velocity's great, but he's just beginning to become well-rounded. Travis is, is, is a little bit more polished. And that's what's fun about both of them. Both hey, real quick, first before you picks. close, real quick, because I forgot to say that the plate discipline for Travis, the difference in his walks from freshman to sophomore year, walks and strikeouts, right? Sophomore year, more walks, less strikeouts. It, it's vastly different, the plate discipline there. Yeah, no, it's true. I, and he went to the Cape and had a 456 on base. I'm excited about both these athletes. They're, they're both really great human beings players that you can, you know, build programs around and hopefully guys that uh, you can build, you know, minor league and then big league teams around subscribe, make sure you get the brand new edition. We are coming at you regularly in the fall holiday time into the season. Um, our first four guests, uh, you know, our, our guys, Kurtz and Caglione and, and now, now Brecht and Bazana that are all going to be first rounders. So um, we're going to keep this theme going because I think it's important to, to understand how the mind of these athletes work for all of our youngers out there. Then um, feel free to zip through and go to the interview you want to hear or listen to part of it. But we appreciate you supporting it. Tell a friend, pass it along. Uh, what do they say? Exit now. They don't say tweet it. Exit, X it. Uh, while we X it, and we'll, we'll talk to you when the next edition comes around.